Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Boston Loose Baseball, episode 57. We're going to look at a new ranking of Nats prospects that just came out that is a little different than most of the rankings that are out there. Plus, the College World Series will begin soon. We're in Super Regionals in the NCAA Tournament this weekend, starting on Friday and through the weekend. Some of the best players in the country are going to be participating, including the three best college players in this year's draft, who the Nats are going to be debating between at pick number two, very likely, we've got Teddy Cahill of Baseball America to analyze those players for us. And it's all coming up on Bustin' Loose Baseball, and it all starts right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is episode 57 of Boston Loose Baseball. With Toby Altizer, I'm Grant Paulson, and we are happy to be talking that baseball with you again. What's up, Toby? Nothing much. Good to be talking about the prospects, looking ahead to the draft. The Nets sitting in a good spot to get a good, really good player, so I'm excited to see what Teddy Cahill has to say about some of these prospects and who the Nats might end up with. Speaking of prospects, though, wanted to start the show by looking at Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs. New rankings that came out that he did. He's always uh, someone who follows prospects and prospect rankings closely and doing a show on MLB radio where we dive into the minor leagues quite a bit. Um, I will say I always like fan graphs because they are not afraid to be different and, and their perspectives oftentimes is more, I don't want to say more about performance than projection, but I do think they wait like how players are actually performing in the numbers and and some of the performance more than maybe just the profile and the potential. I think they bake it all into the conversation for sure. Uh, but I, I just like that their ratings are often unique at a time where everyone ranks and you, you can't have someone ranked 11 that normally is two or three because it'll look too wacky. I just think that they're uh, unique thinkers and, and they don't suffer from kind of that herd mentality that sometimes we fall into. But with that caveat out of the way, I, I always like to say these rankings are you know, all unique and kind of their own, and, and they don't mean a ton, but it's just fun and instructive. Uh, I like information, and, and he's got a lot of it in his new rankings over at Fangraphs. James Wood, not surprisingly, the number one prospect in the system for the Nationals. Baseball America actually just came out with a top 100 on Wednesday, and they had James Wood number five in their new top 100. He's getting a lot of love after breaking out in his first week here in double A's. Just had an unbelievable season for the Nationals, mostly in a pitcher-friendly environment before the recent promotion. Yeah, I think the cool thing from the Fangraphs article 
He says, it's amazing how sentient his feel to hit is considering his age and size and his all-around offensive potential has Sistine Chapel ceiling. So I think a lot of people are starting to see that this guy could be an absolute superstar, and it's good to see that people are really getting on board with the James Wood train. We talked a lot about James Wood a couple of pods ago. I don't think we can risk talking about him too much. Uh, we were blown away. It is just incredible to see his size and his body type. It almost seems weird to talk about like a, a person's body structure. But in sports, you know, normally athletes kind of look similar. He does not. He, his shoulders, are, you know, are very, very wide. And he's got very long arms. And it's it just it's not a baseball body necessarily. But he's going to be in that kind of Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton ilk in terms of height and overall size while being really good in the batter's box. There's just not that many guys like that. Yeah, and I mean, right now is the time of a tall baseball player, right? A big guy, Aaron Judge, 6'8". You got Ellie De La Cruz, who made his debut this week, 6'6". O'Neal Cruz, who's injured right now, but he's 6'7". James Wood is 6'6", probably not done growing. He'll probably finish up somewhere around 6'7". So, I mean, right now is an era where those guys didn't used to play baseball, but now they are, and I think that's good for the game. I was in the National League dugout at the Futures game last year. I get to do the uh, sideline reporting and, and the in-game broadcast for the Futures game every year. And I just remember talking to Mike Sosha that day, but some of the other coaches and people that were involved about how big the, the rosters were, and specifically that NL clubhouse. I mean, Corbin Carroll was tiny, and he now obviously is a front-runner for NL Rookie of the Year. But he looked like a bat boy or a child in that dugout, in that clubhouse. I watched most of the game sitting right next to Ellie De La Cruz on the bench, you know, up on the top step. And uh, couldn't have been a cooler, nicer guy, to, by the way. What, what a great experience that was. Just a, a really big personality. Loves baseball. He came off the bench in the game. So he spent a lot of innings just kind of chilling next to me. But I'm telling you, that the size of the players in that game, Jordan Walker and some of these dudes, the average height it felt like in that clubhouse was like 6'4". It was just crazy. I mean, the game has changed to your point. Yeah, I mean, here's a know. good sign. Brady House is getting love. Brady House yeah. is number two on the fan graphs list, Toby. Uh, I, I like that. I think people are sleeping on Brady House a little bit. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I checked last night, I think it was, and it was around a 315 average and a, a 920 or something OPS on the year. He's had a hell of a season. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to see him getting some love again because at the end of last season, he falls out of the top 100. You wonder maybe something's really wrong there obviously had the injury concerns but having come back from that injury he's back to mash in the baseball and I mean another guy that's big 6'4 215 another guy that maybe isn't in your regular mold of a third baseman I'm excited to see what he can continue to do I'd expect at some point this season he'll move up a level maybe out to Wilmington and just see if he can continue to develop because these two guys at the top I think have really high potential with their bats in the major leagues and the reports for him defensively have been pretty good from what I've gathered. I know he's got seven errors on the season, but sometimes the hit versus error in the minor leagues, I don't care a whole lot about that. I'm not sure if Longenhagen said anything specifically about his defense, but I feel like we knew he wasn't going to play short. He was too big for the position. They were going to move him over to third, and I feel like that transition's gone pretty well. Yeah, and it, he says here he not only looks like a sure bet to stay at third base, but is potentially an impact defender there. So, yeah, he's he's improved defensively. He's going to help you at third base, and I'm really excited to see what his bat can do. I mean, hopefully he can fill the void that Carter Keboom wasn't able to fill at third base, and I think that if he can do that, you've got a lot of the infield 
locked up for the foreseeable future with Abrams and Garcia. And then if you can add House into the mix in the next couple of years, you can get excited about that infield. Wood, by the way, is going to turn 21 years old in a few months. Brady House just turned 20. He's in Fredericksburg. He should be in Wilmington, as you said, here soon. Uh, the number three prospect on the list is Cade Cavalli. He's out with Tommy John, which is a shame. We saw him pitch in the big leagues once last year, left that start, well, pitched in that game, and then we found out afterwards um, that they were going to have to you know, slow roll him. He didn't pitch again the rest of the season, and then he got hurt in spring training this year and needed TJ. So hopefully he'll be back early next season. Cavalli's just kind of been a forgotten man, to be honest, but I'm still very high on him, I and mean, he's going to be a part of this rotation for years to come. Uh, it was great to see him get to the big leagues and make his debut, but I really think he's mostly still a well-kept secret, and people don't know the potential here. He struck out 105 batters in 97 innings in AAA last year, had a mid-3s ERA after a slow start to the season. He'll only be 25 next year. I mean, he's going to be a mid-rotation arm for them. Yeah, and one thing that I think is good for him is before you made some of these trades over the last couple of seasons, this was the guy that was supposed to be your ace going forward, or at least a really frontline starter for you. But getting Josiah Gray in the Scherzer deal, getting Mackenzie Gore in the Soto deal, those guys are kind of the frontline guys now, the guys that everyone knows. And Cavalli, when he comes up, he's still going to be hyped and people are going to be excited, but maybe the expectations got lowered a little bit because if he ends up being a number three starter for you, I think that's totally fine. We're walking our way through the Fangraphs prospect rankings of the Nats. They put out a new top 20. They had Christian Vaccaro ranked number four on their list overall. Vaccaro is actually really interesting, and he's a guy that does not get nearly the attention of a lot of the other Nationals prospects. And I just think it's because, you know, the people that talk about prospects and rank things have not had the same access to him. Uh, he was not stateside last year. Uh, I was told that they kept him uh, over. Um, so that he didn't come over playing in the Dominican League because they didn't want uh, him to have to pay a bunch of taxes. He would have paid millions of dollars, so they, they didn't ask him to come over. He's now stateside playing in Florida in the FCL. He's played a couple games this week. He's just 18. He's a switch hitter. He's got above-average power with an average hit tool. He can really run. Pipeline grades him as a 70 runner. He's got an arm that's above average. You know, All five of the tools grade out at least 50 and the majority of them are 55 or better. Carrying tools, probably the run with power second. But the Nats, instead of divvying up the pool that you spend on players back in 2022, you know, so normally you, you can, you know, give, uh, they had a 5.1 million or something like that to spend, and you could go spend it on eight guys or whatever. They took 4.9 of it and sunk it right into Vaccaro alone and made him the highest signee in the class. And then they had a, a couple hundred thousand dollars left over to do what they wanted. But they bet big on him. They have high hopes for him. He hit about 260 in the Dominican League last year with one home run and 17 steals. Very, very excited to see him get to Fredericksburg at some point later this season. Yeah, and just a little bit of a background on myself. I was out in Milwaukee for quite some time, and we saw a guy that's similar to this that really broke onto the scene as now one of the top prospects in all of baseball and Jackson Churio, he just kind of came out of nowhere and just started mashing the baseball everywhere. And maybe that's something that you could see here with Ricaro is once he gets it kind of figured out, he's still very young. He's got all the tools you could ever want. Once he gets it going, gets it figured out a little bit more, you could see him really rise up these rankings and be someone that 
you, we're talking with James Wood and some of these guys. I'm pretty excited, though, when you look at just the outfield in general. I know we'll get to some of these guys in a little bit, but you got James Wood, you got Vaccaro, you've got Robert Hassel, you've got Elijah Green. So hopefully they'll be able to develop a couple of these guys and you can look at the future of this outfield as pretty exciting. The number five prospect in the Fangraph rankings is Cole Henry. Henry, a now double-A arm. He had gotten to triple-A before being shut down, had thoracic outlet surgery, came back earlier this year, pitched twice in Fredericksburg, seven innings, 11 strikeouts, and just four hits. They bumped him up to A-plus Wilmington. He pitched eight innings of six-hit ball. He struck out five in those eight innings. So now 15 innings and 16 strikeouts this year against just 10 hits. He's got a 1.2 ERA in his first four outings. They have pushed him to double-A Harrisburg now, and the 23-year-old righty, the second-round pick out of LSU, who was the 55th pick in the pandemic draft in 2020, is back to knocking on the door of the majors, and hopefully we'll see him author the final chapter of his comeback story to get back to the big leagues uh, this season. See you later! So we'll get more into this prospect ranking. Again, the Fangraphs top five is Woodhouse, Cavalli, Vaccaro, and Henry. You didn't hear Elijah Green's name. We'll talk about that in just a bit. But I want to welcome Teddy Cahill onto the show. Teddy does an awesome job covering college baseball for Baseball America. And with the Super Regionals taking place this weekend here on Bustin' Loose Baseball, we wanted to talk to one of my favorite college experts on some of the best players in the country who are going to be taking part and these super regionals. So, Teddy, I got to tell you, we got an eye on the Nationals here on Boston Loose Baseball, and they pick second. And so the big debate is, are the Pirates going to take Dylan Cruz 1-1 or Paul Skeens possibly first overall? And do the Nats just pounce on whoever's left of those two guys? Or could Wyatt Lankford from Florida work his way into the conversation? So before we really dive into the matchups and some of the college baseball this weekend, what's your thought on that? So for me, if I'm the Pirates, I probably would be very interested in taking Paul Skeens. The, I don't think they're going to do that, though. I think Dylan Cruz seems more like their kind of pick. Um, and so then if that is the way it goes down, that you're looking at Cruz off the board, if I was the Nationals, I'd be very happy to take Skeens. I would investigate Laneford, though, uh, you know, see what it would take to sign him. Because like Cruz is really, really good. But Wyatt Laneford is, is almost as good. Uh, and you can probably find some people that even prefer him. So like, I, I think that Wyatt Laneford has been lost a little bit in some of this because he doesn't play for LSU. And it's a lot easier to talk about those two as a unit. Uh, and in some respects, that's unfair to Laneford. In some respects, like Cruz and Skeens just are better. Uh, so personally, I really like Paul Skeens. I'd be thrilled to have him. If he was on the board, I would pounce. But I do think that any team that's looking at that scenario does need to, to fully evaluate Laneford because he really is a, a very talented player as well. And if you want a bat, he's a great option. Well, and we've talked about this playing off the air. Do you have any concerns with taking a guy like Skeens and some of the injury concerns? We've seen it with Cavalli now. You think of a guy that got drafted last year and Kumar Rocker, he's really getting to develop and then has to have Tommy John surgery. Do you take that into consideration when taking the second pick? Do you just take Skeens because he's that good of a prospect? Or do you stick and maybe try to go with Langford there just because of the less injury concerns with a position player? Yeah, so I think that is a part of the appeal of Cruz and Laneford is that they're not pitchers and that, you know, pitchers have this inherent problem 
you know, uh, right now there are plenty of guys, you know, you mentioned some of the, the, the prospects, but obviously, you know, Jacob deGrom just goes down, you know, and the, the injury risk with pitching is real, uh, but you still need them. And if Skeens is the best pitcher available in the draft in the last decade, like, I think I would be happy to jump on that, but everybody has a different, uh, you know, feeling about what you do with the pitching issue right now and, and how you evaluate risk and all the rest of it. So like, I don't think I could be too concerned about that just because you need the pitching, but I certainly understand the people that do uh, prefer the, the bats just because of the, the injury risks. Teddy Cahill of Baseball America. I, I don't want to say I've sworn off pitching at the top of the draft, but I am one of those guys where if I ran a front office, if you looked at my trend, it would be bat, 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 arm, bat, 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 bat right? I mean, I, I would always almost at the top of the draft, and, and every pick and every year is different, but I would almost prefer bat exclusively because of the risks. But Paul Skeens is different, right? I mean, this is not normal. Nothing about this guy is normal. You know, here in D.C., the Nats drafted Strasburg back in 2009-1-1. This is far and away the best pitching prospect since then. I want to get your thoughts, Teddy, on, on juxtaposing the two, because I actually think Skeens, being in the SEC, has had a better year than Strasburg had at San Diego State. And I would actually say he's a better prospect at 6-6 and, and just with what he's shown. Curious about that. But for our listeners who, who aren't familiar, 11-2 uh, and two with a 1.90 ERA in 16 starts. 99 innings, just 61 hits, and 179 strikeouts. He's basically striking out two batters for every hit he allows, let alone innings he pitches in. It will average against 171. I mean, we, we just haven't seen college arms like this other than maybe Strauss and Pryor in the last, what, 30 years? Yeah, I mean, everyone is is laying him up against Strasburg, and uh, I think that's because, you know, that's as far back as people are willing to reach, but you can go back farther for sure. Like you can go back to prior because he's at LSU. There's an easy comparison to Ben McDonald uh, for people that are in the area that are old enough to have remembered him uh, as Orioles pitcher. I personally am not, but uh, you know, I, I know that, uh, that, that, I mean, those are the kind of guys we're talking about with, with schemes. He's a huge guy. Like you said, he's six, six and he's like, completely built and he throws a hundred miles an hour plus um you know the slider feels like it's unfair he really likes his changeup. his changeup has come a long way uh over this year he uh i mean he throws with really good control and command like it, it's everything is there that you would want and then the makeup is incredible um you know some of that is the fact that he spent two years of air force academy and if you talk to him, he like really wishes he was still there. Uh, he just also wanted to go play professional baseball, and the the requirements at you know uh, that we ask of the the people that that we send to the academies are too great to to also pursue being an MLB player, basically. So that's why he had to transfer. But uh, it it really is an, an incredible overall package. And um, you know, I how you compare him to Strasburg or Pryor or whoever else, like. I mean, you you really have to start splitting hairs and everything, but I think it's fair to say that he's a better prospect. Like, I, I don't think that's outrageous at all. Can I jump in real quick, Toby? I just want to know, other than health, what are the concerns or weaknesses? Like, is there anything where you look at deep into the analytics and, like, the hit rate on the fastball or something? Is there something that's not being talked about other than just, oh, my God, this guy's a can't-miss pitcher? 
you know, I don't really think there is a uh, a significant concern like that. I I think that you know we're uh, we're, we're looking at, at at his stuff as being uh, spectacular. He's got the the body. He's he's got the uh, you know the analytics. If you if you get into how the pitches are shaped and stuff like people and people that look at that closely uh, like that as well. So no, I, I don't think there is a uh, a significant. Uh, uh, risk factor or, or or negative on the scouting report. And I think it's pretty obvious who the top three are here. We talked about Paul Skeens plenty here. If the Pirates were to go with Skeens at number one, for our listeners, could you compare and contrast what Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford can bring to the Nats if they were to have to decide between one of those two? So I think the biggest difference between the two of them is that, well, I guess there are two big differences. One is that Cruz has a much longer track record as being a high-level player. Uh, Dylan Cruz has always been one of the best players in his age group. Uh, He, I guess, had a little bit of a downturn going into his senior year, and that's part of the reason why he's uh, at school now uh, and didn't get drafted in 2020, but it was also the 2020 draft, and he didn't have a senior year of high school uh, to correct or, or, you know, give scouts and any sort of like positive thing going into the draft other than what they'd saw the previous summer. Laneford uh, was a relative unknown in high school, did not play hardly at all at Florida as a freshman and then broke out last year. So uh, if you like track record, Cruz has that advantage. The other big advantage Cruz has is that you can feel a lot better about putting him in center field. Laneford doesn't play center field now. And if you talk to people at Florida and you can find scouts that will agree with this, that say like, he's good enough to do it. Like Florida just has like an 80 runner in center field. And to that, I say, well, so will most major league teams. They'll have somebody that's a better defender than him. So some people are not necessarily totally sold on Cruz as a center fielder. uh, But Laneford to me is definitely much more of a corner guy. Uh, Cruz, incredible barrel control uh i mean that that's really the thing that stands out with him is the uh the the bat speed the barrel control the plate discipline laneford maybe a little more uh power that that he can access uh but still you know good at the the other parts of the the hitting ability uh spectrum so i i think they're both really good prospects i understand the people that like laneford because of maybe the more power and more impact offensively uh, for me, I, I think that Cruz being the better athlete is the the separator for me. Better athlete? Does he run better? I mean, I, I know you're saying center field versus a corner, so I'd imagine that the actual run tool grades out better. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that is uh, that that's correct, and uh, it's not massively better, but he's a. I, I think you can put a plus run on him, um, but you know, Laneford is is not quite that kind of runner. Just to get into the numbers on Dylan Cruz. So this year he hit 432, 61 games, about 220 at bats. So well over a third of what would be a big league season. 17 home runs in the SEC. And remember, this is not some random conference, right? Over 60 driven in 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 61 games, more than an RBI per game. His on-base 57%. His slug was 735. I mean, just an astounding season. So when you start looking at an OPS here uh, for him, on base plus slugging, you know, we're up over 1,300 for Dylan Cruz. So if if the Nats were to take him too, uh, if you could forecast out, I don't know if there's a comp you've heard in terms of a big leaguer, um, but like what type of player? Does he stay in center? Is he a 20-homer bat or a 25-homer, 30-homer guy? Like 
Uh, is it is it hit tool where he's hitting 300 with 18 to 22 homers? Like, what do you see for him? Yeah, I think it's the the hit tool that you're uh, you're really looking for there. Uh, I mean, he has the power. Also, with the big league ball right now, anybody can uh, can develop more power. But I, I think you're really looking at a guy that is going to uh, uh, you know hit for a pretty high average, control the barrel, has the ability to run the ball out of the park, and. For me, I think he stays in center field. But I, again, there there is something of that that has been an open question to an extent. But I, I think that he has the route running ability and the speed to uh, to stay in center field. Well, and an interesting part about this when you were breaking down the two of them is the Nationals really lack power right now. And so maybe Cruz is the safer guy, but would you consider going Langford at two when they probably have some guys that can play center field already in the system with Hassel and Wood and maybe Elijah Green down the road? Would you consider going Langford just for that increase in power and not necessarily worry as much about him not playing center field in the future? I don't think I'd be too concerned about that. Um, I think that at that point you just have like, no matter what you do here, if you were picking between these two outfielders, uh, the outfield of the future would be really athletic and you get power from any of those guys. I feel like, um, so I, I wouldn't concern myself with that too much, but that doesn't mean that somebody else might not do that differently though. Wyatt Langford, who's the Florida outfielder, who's also playing in the Super Regionals this year in 56 games, a 13-10 OPS, a 387 average, 18 home runs, a couple more than Cruz. Uh, his slug is 800 higher than Cruz's. His on bases only 5'11", though, so not, not quite uh, what Dylan Cruz's is. He actually stole two more bases, interestingly, 8-for-9 uh, as opposed to Cruz, who was 6-for-6 six six on the base pads. So same kind of question as far as Langford. Uh, ultimately as a big leaguer, you, you say a corner power hitter, is that 30 home runs perhaps in a corner, something like that? I think that's plausible. I mean, he hit 26 last year uh, in a Florida schedule. Uh, that's at the time it was, it was, it tied a program record uh, that's since been broken, but uh, that program record, you know, I mean, you've got Pete Alonzo, you've got uh, you know some big time power hitters that have come through there and, and Langford is right there with them. So yeah, I think that you're looking at, at a, a good power hitter. I think he can also still hit for average. Um, you know, I, I think you're looking at kind of the quintessential corner outfield profile with him. And with Super Regionals coming up, who are some other guys? Obviously, we've covered the top three. Who are some of the other guys that are in Super Regionals that you want to keep a close eye on this weekend? Well, I think one of the the big ones to watch is uh, Rhett Louder at Wake Forest. Uh, he's their ace, and he looks almost exactly like Mike Clevenger. Uh, he's got the hair. The delivery looks really similar. He's a guy that, that probably goes in the top 10. Um, you know, Chase Dollander at Tennessee uh, came into the, the year like you were coming into the season. It was, is Chase Dollander or Paul Skeens the best pitcher in this draft class? And uh, Skeens has taken off and Dollander uh, has kind of backed up a little bit after being SEC pitcher of the year a season ago, but he'll still be a first round pick somewhere in the top half, maybe in the top 10, maybe falls out of the top 10. We'll see. But uh, those two guys, Louder and Dolander are the, the other pitchers definitely to watch. And then uh, Kyle Teal at UVA, uh, very exciting prospect as a catcher, really great bat. Uh, and, you know, a little bit of a local angle here. So uh, I, I would, I would keep an eye on him this weekend in Charlottesville. I want to circle back to Teal in a moment because I, I think he's now going to go in the top 10 almost certainly. I mean, in a year where, and you can speak to this better than I can, there's no college catching. 
I think uh, your guys, when you did your ranking, you had Teal up high, and, and I don't think there was another catcher in the next several dozen picks. Maybe the kid from Davidson uh, it would be next if, if memory serves. But, I mean, Kyle Teal's kind of in a class of his own there. But comparing Louder to Dollander as top 10 type guys, they seem like they're the antithesis of each other a little bit in this regard, if you could comment on this. So Dollander, to me, the performance has not been there. Like, it's been disappointing and inconsistent, and he seems to have one inning in every start where he gives up three or four runs or something, and, and he, you know, he just isn't missing bats the way that you would think he should. But the, the stuff's amazing. Like, you look at the stuff, or you were talking about kind of pitch shapes and, and being in a lab. Like, it, it, you rave about the stuff. Whereas I watch uh, Rhett Lauder from Wake, and I think he's a little short on, you know, top five, top ten stuff for me. But... The performance is incredible. Like, no one hits him. He doesn't give up runs. He's been dominant in college ball. He's been the best pitcher uh, in the ACC the last couple of years. I'm just curious if you would agree with that take at all. I, I think that's fair. And, you know, I, I've seen Dollander twice this year now. I was at his start uh, this last weekend against Clemson, and he got outpitched by Caden Grice, who is a guy that's going to go, eh, like, somewhere in the top three rounds. He's a little bit hard to get a handle on because he's a – true two-way player at Clemson and what's he going to do in pro ball. But, um, you know, Dolander absolutely got outpitched by, by a guy with less stuff. And that just keeps happening this year, basically. And, uh, you know, I know that teams that, that look at the, the analytics and, and really get into the pitch shapes and everything, uh, that's like, frankly, a little more advanced than what I, uh, what I, what I ever do. Uh, they love that. And I get it. And you saw him last year have incredible success, but he hasn't had it this year, whether that's a control issue, whether something's going on mechanically, I don't know, but they haven't been able to fix it at Tennessee. And, you know, meanwhile, louder, uh, like you said, ACC pitcher of the year, the last two seasons, the fastball, you know, it was more of a mid nineties, whereas Dolander's up into the upper nineties. And like all of the stuff is just a, uh, maybe a tick behind, but he's pitching so much better. Uh, so it's a, it's a challenging thing. I don't, I, part of me kind of feels like Dollander is on the verge of falling out of the top 10. Like we keep mocking him into the top 10 and our draft writers know a lot more about that stuff than me, but I, I just look at Dollander and the, the, the trajectory he's on in terms of performance and what's happened to pitchers like that in recent years. And I, I just can't keep, I can't get it out of my head that like, is he actually going to go in the top 10? But he has the raw stuff, the raw materials that looks like a top 10 pitcher. So it's it's still entirely possible that that happens. Well, and I want to take a little deeper dive here. Are there any guys maybe that we should keep an eye on for the Nationals, maybe as a second round pick that we could see over the weekend? Are there some guys that you really like that they could take at pick number 40? Because we've focused on these top three guys, but are there other guys maybe we could keep an eye out for? Well, I mean, this weekend, especially if you're if you're watching Virginia, Jake Geloff, uh, their third baseman, had an incredible season. He's got some real power. Uh, so I, I think he's a guy that maybe could be in that range. Brandon Sprout at Florida is their number one uh, starter, not their best prospect as a pitcher, but he uh, he is quite good and, um, y you know, maybe goes in that range. And then a wild card. I don't know how Texas is going to use him this weekend. He's been starting. His start in regionals wasn't amazing as he works back from Tommy John surgery, but that's Tanner Witt out at Texas. Uh, he had first round stuff, has first round stuff. Uh, just, you know, he had to have Tommy John surgery uh, and is, is still working his way back. He didn't even debut until I, I think it was the start of May. So 
he he's definitely still in the uh, just the, the the mode of of getting back to to a hundred percent. But that you know, given what the Nationals have done in the past, like I, I think that's a guy that maybe could be on their radar. Yeah, it'd be interesting, right? I mean, we saw Kate Horton last year like skyrocket around this time where he came back, he got healthy, shoved, and the Cubs took him in the top 10. Tanner Witt's not going to have that kind of rise because he's not as far along and he's not going to be you know, just coming out of nowhere. But to your point, um, getting healthy and pitching again, he's going to help his stock a whole lot. So we'll let you go on this then for, for again, kind of from a Nats perspective, for people that want to watch LSU and Florida and Cruz and Skeens and Langford, I'm just curious like what the schedule looks like Friday and, and beyond uh, for those kind of non-college baseball fans that are going to moonlight as college marks this weekend. Yeah, so on Friday, they get started with uh, with, with four uh, of the eight Super Regionals, and then uh, they flip, uh, or the, the next four get started on Saturday. So the, the ones that, that start on Friday run Friday through, uh, through Sunday. The other ones run Saturday through Monday. Uh, UVA is starting the whole thing off at noon on Friday. Uh, LSU gets going on Saturday, uh, as does Wake Forest against Alabama. Wake Forest, the number one uh, overall seed in this thing. So uh, plenty of college baseball on the TV this weekend. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, definitely the the busiest days of the the Super Regional round. Can't wait. Going to be great. Well, Teddy, information's awesome, man. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you jumping on with us. Yeah, thanks, Teddy. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. Teddy Cahill, go check him out at BaseballAmerica.com. It's very rare, Toby, that this many of the elite college prospects, as far as the draft, are left in the Super Regionals. So as you're listening to this pod, if you're a Nats fan, it's a great chance to do some of your own homework and just put eyes on these guys uh, as you get closer to the draft. It's it's a rarity. I want to say last year we had like two of the projected top 10 to 15 picks in the draft still left at this point. And this year we've got eight guys who could go in the top 15 or 17 or so that are still playing, which is awesome. Well, and the beauty of it too, two of the guys are on the same team. So you just got to make sure you watch LSU and Florida. Those are your, those are your assignments. Go watch those guys. Yeah. And for the Nats, I mean, this is not to say that they unequivocally will not draft one of the high schoolers, Walker Jenkins, the outfielder from North Carolina, Max Clark, the outfielder from Indiana, the two best high school players in the country. But I believe that they've narrowed this thing down, presumably, to the LSU players. I, I just have to imagine that. Cruz and Skeens, and they take whoever the Pirates don't. I just think Langford should be in the conversation. I've had people ask me a couple different times over the course of the season on Twitter, hey, who would you rather take? Like, let's say they take Cruz, it's Skeens or it's Langford. Who are you taking? And I, at least several weeks ago, had gone Langford most recently when I was asked that question, just because it's it's bat over arm for me. But Skeens is just so special and so dominant and so unique. He's going to be in the big league so fast. I think he could be Verlander, right? I mean, he could be an ace. Yeah, arms break, and he's going to miss a year with Tommy John at some point. And if it's on, you know, your organization in his first several years, it it might push back his debut or or it might hurt. You know, it might might be his second season when you're ready to start performing. Like, those types of things are realities. But I think when he pitches, he could be so good that with Skeens as a one, Gore as a two, you know, I'm just going to say now with what they've got, like Gray as a three, and then some version of Cavalli or Henry and um, take your pick of their other arms, you know, Rutledge and some of the guys coming, Irvin or or uh, Parker, you know, and, and, and 
they can spend. Like eventually they're going to be back in the mode of bringing pitching in too. So you're probably going to need three, maybe at most four in-house arms. You're going to want one or two veteran free agents. Well, Skeens is locked in as a guy. As the day you draft him, you feel like you just added a bona fide frontline starter. Well, and you wonder if the Nationals almost feel like they uh, they haven't taken a first round pitcher in a while, even though it hasn't been necessarily the longest. But I mean, they used to always take first round pitchers, and this team, when it's been at its best, has been built through starting pitching. And if you have a guy like Skeens that can be a Verlander, you've heard him compared to Strasburg coming out. I mean, it's hard not to take a guy like that. Would it be nice to add some power and a corner outfield bat? Absolutely, but. At the same point, you've got guys in the outfield. Like if you were just to say, if all your guys hit right now, you'd have the outfield covered with Hassel, Wood, and Green. And so you're just adding another one to that mix. Right now, if you look outside of Cavalli, maybe Henry, like Rutledge, some of these guys don't project to be frontline starters, and you would have the opportunity to get a frontline starter in Paul Skeens. Dang, zoom. So we started the pod by talking about the new rankings from fan graphs of the Nats system, just to put a bow on that conversation because we wanted to jump because Teddy was ready. The top five was Wood, House, a couple of, of the household names, no pun intended, Cavalli, Vaccaro, and then Henry. Very, very unique, very different than most rankings, right? You see that Robert Hassel is lower there than in most places. Uh, fan graphs has him seventh. Again, a lot of this is based on performance numbers. There's been very little power since he came over to the organization. Uh, the offense has been down. They've got Darren Baker way higher. They got him ninth on this list. You know, I view Baker as kind of a a bench player, you know, an extra back of the 25 guy who comes off the bench and, and can play multiple positions. I mean, they've got him in the top 10 in the system. I do like that they have Dalen Lyle moved up into the top 10. One of my favorite bats in the system now in Fredericksburg, the 20-year-old outfielder who's hit for some power. But most interestingly here, I thought, Toby, Elijah Green out of the top 10, mm -hmm. the 19-year-old, I know he's got a lot of swing and miss issues, big-time strikeout concerns. We've talked about some of the, the strobe light flashing kind of red flags, if you will. But to have him 11th right after he was taken in the top five, pretty surprising to me. Yeah, it's a little bit alarming when you look at these lists. You expect to see some order of green somewhere in the top five, obviously having Cavalli, Housewood, kind of wherever you want to throw those guys. But to see 10 guys in the organization ranked higher than what you have Elijah Green is kind of jarring. But, you know, there's a lot of concern right now. Obviously, he has crazy potential, but when he's swinging and missing all the time, and it's not like he's swinging and missing because he's swinging at bad pitches. He's swinging and missing in the zone, and that's a little bit concerning. The tools are still very much there. It's just about working on that bat-to-ball skill, and if he can fix that, then we'll see him shoot back up these rankings, but it is a little jarring to see him all the way down at 11. Yeah, I look, I say this all the time. This does not mean, first of all, his book is not written. Like He could end up winning three MVP awards, okay? I'm, I'm not out on Elijah Green while I am nervous, but what I have said since he was drafted last year despite the upside being massive and him having MVP potential, I would miss on guys like this all the time. And in fact, I missed on James Wood in this same way. Now, very early last year when I was tracking him in the minors and saw by talking to people that he'd made a swing adjustment, I hopped right on him. But coming out of high school, he also had major swing and miss concerns out of IMG Academy with the long levers and the big swing, not to the extent that Green did. 
And guys that are like the super high ceiling, this guy projects for power and, and can run and can do all these things, but doesn't always make contact. Like that's not my style necessarily. And for that reason, I, I didn't love or, or or wasn't as high maybe on like green as a prospect. Having said that, if you look at the top of last year's draft, it's not like there were other guys taken around him that are raking or killing the ball. So I'm not sure that they did anything wrong. I'm sure they would tell you they still feel really good about the pick. He's 19 years old. He's 6'3", 225. He's in A ball. He's flashing occasionally. He hit a ball out of the ballpark recently. The power is crazy. So I hope it doesn't sound like I'm like giving up on this guy. That, that's not my point. It's just they took a player with huge risk. That, that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Like I remember talking to someone before the draft last year that said they went and watched him for a couple game series over a weekend. And he struck out like six times or something like that. Like that doesn't really happen with top 10 high school players. You know, I've been watching this kid locally at Madison High School a bunch named Bryce Eldridge, who's going to be drafted in the first round. He just went and took batting practice today at Nationals Park. I think he's going to go somewhere between picks like 15 and, and 25, maybe 30. Long story short, Bryce Eldridge doesn't like I've seen him swing and miss one time. I've never seen him strike out, by the way. I've seen him swing and miss one time, and I've watched him play four games now or something like that this year. Um, his last 20 at-bats, he's got 16 intentional walks and four times where he put the ball in play. Two were homers. One was a double, and one was a line out to an outfielder. Now, he's playing lesser competition. IMG Academy is like a college where they fly around and play the best in the country. My point is just I think the Nats knew when they drafted him this was a risk. They'd have to make adjustments. They would have to tweak the swing. And so far, the results are still that this is – when you strike out at that rate in low A, what happens when you face better stuff as you climb the ladder? I mean, that's kind of my concern. But to, to not have him in the top 10, I still think is whatever the opposite of aggressive is, you know, or, or aggressive against him, I suppose. Because, I mean, you, you, you're trying to, like, what are you looking for? This guy's got power. He's got speed. He's stealing bases. The OPS, considering some of the, the problems making contact, is still fairly high. Like, I guess I'm just surprised that this quickly, unless you were down on him and maybe Longenhagen was coming out in the draft, that would explain it. But if you really liked him a year ago, I just think it's too early to kind of move well, him and, out of a top 10. And maybe they're waiting a little bit too much of his performance in his age 19 season. You know I mean? It's something that yeah. he can still continue to fix. And like you said, the tools are all still there. You see it at times where he hits a ball out of the stadium. He can still run as fast as just about anybody. You know, he's, he's someone that has all the tools necessary, but you'd hope that at some point he can get it figured out. And one thing I wanted to bring up before we finish up here, Grant, is Pete Medhurst tweeted at us about this with Ellie De La Cruz making his debut for the Reds this week. And I think it's really important that at some point the Nationals develop one of their own guys and get someone brought up that is someone that has been theirs, right? Brady House, Cavalli, Elijah Green, someone like that that has been with the organization. They drafted him. It's going to be cool when James Wood comes up to the majors. Don't get me wrong. It's cool seeing Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams. But these are guys that were developed somewhere else. I think the Nationals need to show that they can develop guys that they draft or they sign, that they bring in, and they haven't been able to do that recently. You think of Carter Keyboom, been a bit of a disappointment. You think all the way back to Victor Robles, hasn't really reached his potential. You need to see some guys that come from the National system that were originally Nats that turn out to be something. Cause at some point you run out of guys to trade to bring in other prospects. 
It's a really, really good point. Yeah, I'm excited for Wood. I think that'll be the next kind of great day at Nats Park in terms of a promotion. I mean, Hassel will be exciting. There's some other guys that will come. But that'll be, you know, our Ellie De La Cruz moment, perhaps, which is going to be really cool. But as far as Nats drafted and developed and graduated a guy, I mean, high impact, like star potential. I don't know. You're going back to maybe Trey Turner or something. Uh, it's It has been a long time, to your point, and there's no one really – right now that looks like they're on that level in the offing. So I think that's very well said. Paul Skeens would be the answer or, yeah. or Dylan Cruz, maybe. I mean, both of those guys are going to move quickly and they, whichever of the two they end up with. Well, is and just, just think about what you guy. had to trade to get the guys that are helping you right now. You had to trade Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. You had to trade Juan Soto. None of the guys on the Nationals roster right now look like that type of a star. So if you don't have these guys come through the national system that are Nats draft picks, then it, it's not going to work. Maybe it's something down the road where you could trade James Wood or something like that, but I don't want to continue going through this process where the Nationals have to trade their stars to get prospects from other teams because they can't develop their own talent. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. All right, real quick, final thoughts. Anything kind of uh, bigger picture on the big club or otherwise uh, as they are taking on the Arizona Diamondbacks this weekend at Nats Park? I do not envy Davey Martinez at all right now and having to go to the bullpen and choose whichever guy you want to blow the lead that day. It is a tough <laughs> spot to be in, really, where he... Who's going to blow the lead today? <laughs> as soon as he decides to go to the pen, you just know he has to be shaking in the dugout because it, it's just not been good. So I don't know how you fix the dugout, or the bullpen. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do, but it is it is not fun right now when he has to go out to the pen. Yeah, the series with the Diamondbacks, I should say, wrapping up on Thursday. And then they're in Atlanta taking on the Braves, a rare series in Houston where the Nats won the World Series. Always good memories there. And then they're back home on the 16th of June for a couple of uh, home series against the Marlins and the Cardinals. That's the next homestand. All right, for Toby, I'm Grant saying thanks for listening to Bustin' Loose Baseball. We always appreciate the efforts of our producer, Darius Dameron, as well. We'll be back at it early next week. Remember, we try to post two pods for you every single week. Please spread the word. We have not had any comments in a while. If you leave us a comment, a nice comment on the show, we will read it on the air. We will give you a shout out. But we have not had any here recently, and that is sad. So leave us a comment, rate and review, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. For Bustin' Loose Baseball crew, Bob Carpenter style, see you later.